0: Before we get started, a quick disclaimer. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. With that, hello, welcome to the Rangeley Capital Podcast. I'm Chris DeMuth, a PM at Rangeley. And with me, as always, is my co-host and colleague, Andrew Walker, who is a fellow PM at Rangeley as well. Today, we discuss GM and Prince. Uh, So uh, to start with, GM, possibly the more serious, weighty topic. Uh, General Motors uh, has recently been uh, getting activist pressure from investor uh, Greenlight Capital uh, run by billionaire David Einhorn. You know, if you have $900 million, you're just a guy. Maybe a kind of rich guy. But once you cross that number, then you're like, it's kind of, it's the American equivalent of being sir or having a title. You're always billionaire
1: David Einhorn. Uh, it
0: would be very uh, very demoralizing to lose that in the process. Uh, but uh, uh, the,
1: the Silicon Valley, the con- comedy on uh, HBO, uh-huh. there's this great scene where they've got these crazy venture capitalists and there's this guy and he's like, I'm a member of the Three Comma Club because he's a billionaire. And then uh-huh. one of his investments goes <laughs> bankrupt or something and he goes down to $950 million, <laughs> and he freaks out. He's like, you guys have to sell for a premium. I need to get my third comma back.
0: And in, in terms of personal consumption, it really, I mean, you can't buy an aircraft carrier. But other than that, you really can fly uh, private. There's nothing much after that. But uh, the ego And there's probably... probably... Probably plenty of that. Uh, In any event, uh, he only owns less than a percent of the stock, uh, but he came up with a plan. Uh, Andrew, what do you think of his plan?
1: Look, he owns less than a percent of the stock, but it's 10 percent of his portfolio. So, you know, it's tough. It's tough. Sometimes you'll see activists saying something. You'd be like, oh, they I'll do this. I'll be like, oh, they only own two percent of the company. But if it's that big of a piece of your portfolio, you clearly have every incentive to see the company do well and do what's in the best interest of the company.
0: Sure. Uh, and now, you might just be right. I mean, it's a pair of fresh eyes and uh, yeah. uh, you might just be right. Now,
1: his proposal here is to split the company's stock into two stock, what mm-hmm. he's calling the dividend stock and the share appreciation stock. And he argues by doing that, the the co- the company's uh, the total value of that would be worth $50 per share versus I think it's around 35 today. Uh, you know, I, I get what he's saying, but look, to me, this is this is the example of financial engineering. Uh, three, four years ago, he proposed this for Apple. Apple. He was he was proposing they issue what he was cheekily calling iPrefs. And to me, this is financial engineering kind of at its worst. You know, if he thinks the shares are undervalued, he should be pushing the company to buy back shares, which would increase value for all remaining shareholders instead of this kind of one-time pop by playing this financial gimmickry. But, you know, I can also I, I can understand where he's coming from.
0: You know, I think that in both cases, he kind of had a fallback plan. Uh, I agree with – I would associate myself with everything you said. I think that it was a gimmick, but it's also a revealing gimmick. And by that, I mean maybe they would accept his plan, but even short of accepting it, Laying out the value, just even as a mind, mental exercise. If what he said is true, maybe you should own the stock today. Maybe that could help uh, their market valuation. Um, you know, even he emphasized. He said GM's trading at uh, 5.6 times PE, not normally a metric that I overly fixate on, but it's more useful at the extremes, and this one is extremely low, at least the lowest in the S and P 500. And uh, my thought, though, is I question philosophically whether it's GE's. excuse me gm's job to as he said reveal the value i think it's gm's job certainly to build cars it's gm's job absolutely long term to enrich owners uh but you know i've always thought that being underestimated is a wonderful thing some of the managements that are best at creating value for owners are terrible and in some cases intentionally terrible at revealing that value
1: Well, so I see what you're saying there. But at the same time, like if your stock is worth 50 and you're trading for 35, then every capital allocation decision you're you're making has to be weighed against buying back your shares at 35. So I would argue if they're not buying back money hand over fist, like they're being suboptimal if their stock's really worth 50. I do think it's interesting. You know, I've seen even Warren Buffett owns GM now, or I think it's one of his lieutenants who's actually bought it. But even Berkshire owns GM. And everybody fixates on this 5.6p number. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and it's interesting to me for two reasons. A, a auto manufacturer is just a pile of leverage. So these things they look very cheap on a price to earnings metric, but if you went and look at them at, at kind of you, you back out all the pension expenses, you back out all the debt and everything, they start to look less cheap. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, you know, you generally look at a PE ratio not uh, not absolute but relative. Yeah. And in that case, GM is right in line with where Ford, with Volkswagen Fiat, where all of these guys are trading on every metric. They're all pretty similar. And what's interesting to me is everyone has fixated on GM. You know, Einhorn, Buffett, a lot of other value investors have fixated on GM. And it's interesting to me they do that because if I look across the spectrum, Ford is, compared, is controlled by the Ford family. They own a special class of voting shares. Uh, Fiat's controlled, Volkswagen's controlled, the French manufacturers, uh, the French government effectively controls them. GM's really the only game in town yep. for people who want to push this type of financial engineering. So it's interesting to me, to me that all of them, you know, clearly all of them are attracted to the auto sector, which is, it's cyclical, it's uh, got a lot of leverage, and they're clearly attracted to the low valuations with that cyclicality, but they're going after the only target they can kind of influence it
0: is the nail with all these guys holding a hammer and uh cultural government control shares prevent any other nails from being hit so they all kind of <laughs> everyone's not look at gm and say oh i'll hit that uh you know my thought on this plan i didn't think it was crazy i don't think i would have necessarily supported it and, and gm did not um but i thought also that if this Let's just stipulate that this value could be realized or it could be revealed that mm-hmm. the value is there. Um, but it's the kind of thing that a broker, which uh, every day they engage in financial engineering, it's not the same empath- epithet that it is with a, a car company. They could just create a derivative. Or they, they could create – they could just have a synthetic offering that would be very easy for them to hedge where you could own the dividends – of GM and I could own the growth.
1: Before, I, I used to work at a private bank, and a lot of them will do for high net worth clients. They'll do exactly what the, you're saying. And basically, all they do, look, they buy the they buy the stock and they'll sell a call against it, right? Yeah. And if you buy a stock and sell a call, you can kind of create your own dibi- dividend by capping out the call. So they do that, and that's a great way for them to get commissions while kind of pitching their clients on something interesting. Uh, yeah, you know, I... I want to turn back to the valuation. You know, sure. the one thing I think is interesting is if you look at the valuation, uh, car companies are cyclical. Right now, we're selling about 15 million uh, light autos right now. Uh, so we're kind of not not on the high end of the peak. In the crisis, it went below 10, but 15 million is kind of bumping up against where the cycle starting to get a little hot. I think it is interesting to think like, you know, with ride sharing, people with ride sharing and self-driving cars coming, you know, no one can say Uber's not taking a lot of share. Are people less likely to buy cars going forward? Will there be lower auto sales going forward? And if that's the case, yes, GM's valued at six x today's trailing PE. But if you look forward two years and think, oh, we're going to sell twenty percent less cars because twenty percent fewer people will own cars because ride sharing takes a lot of cars and less people need to own a car. You know that 5, that six x P with twenty percent less uh, sales. It starts to look an awful lot like 15 or 18x. And that's before you start thinking about Tesla and electric cars, self driving automobiles, and all that. So I agree, it looks cheap. It looks cheap. There's a lot of leverage. So you could do really well if things work out here. But I think there's a lot of risk in the auto sector right now. Though, you know, they're clearly a friend of Donald Trump and he wants to encourage them. He might give them some tax breaks and things that could make things interesting as well.
0: Einhorn did very much in his letter emphasize this as a Trump presidency stock. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a low, low multiple, a tax paying company. But culturally, boy, things are changing. You have those technological alternatives that you mentioned, and just the cultural reality that's so so different than a few decades ago, where it was commonplace up and down the socioeconomic ladder. Not just relegated to middle class or wealthy people yeah. that you just you buy a car and now i find more and more quirks of the opposite you know i remember uh, a lot of you know kids in scholarship with no money who would figure out some way to buy a clunker very culturally yep. relevant and today i see much more of the example of uh professional people who could easily afford it and just don't own cars and it doesn't occur to them that they don't have a car because it's so convenient to not have one
1: exactly you know a car we've i I don't want to talk too much more about it, but it's a wasted asset for the most part right it goes unused 98 percent of the time you pay a lot of money for it it costs a lot of money why not just call up an uber and they've got these great stats that even if you're using uber four or five times a day if you compare it to the all-in cost of owning a car like a lot of times you're much better off just using an uber or ride sharing service Uh,
0: ready to move on to prince i feel
1: like Uh, Uber. Be sponsoring us if we're going to be just throwing them like great, great praise like that on the podcast, saying take an Uber over buy GM stock. I think that needs to be sponsored. Uber, where are you? Some people
0: don't take money under or over the table for some highfalutin principled reasons. I just they haven't. They haven't. My, my hand is outstretched. We, we're we mentioned. To I don't know
1: how many times we can tell people our hand is under the table for this podcast, waiting for some cash to come here, and we just are not getting cash under the table, and I just can't understand how much clearer we can make.
0: We it. are capitalists. Uh, going on to Prince. Uh, Prince is still dead. Uh, he uh, was a successful singer, uh, musician. He was throughout his life a skeptic of his industry and a bit of an odd duck. I mean, he stacked up a million dollars worth of gold bars. He collected real estate. He did a lot of things on his own. Uh, He did it pretty successfully. He ended up at the end of his life with uh, a estate worth uh, in excess of $200 million. He did not have a lot of the sort of sophisticated financial connections that you normally would in that circumstance. Um, and he kind of had a local bank that he had done some business with but really didn't know what to do. And so without any will, um, PSA, if you have over $200 million – in fact, if you have over $2 million, write a will. Uh, But he uh, was put in the clutches of a kind of industry entertainment lawyer. Um, who dealt with it. So, Andrew, uh, what we'll caught your eye about this?
1: What happened yeah next? So, the, I think the, the story was the, an industry entertainment lawyer ran his the auction for the rights to his music, yeah. and Universal won it for $60 million, yeah. and Sony and – I can't remember who the other big music group is. Sony and uh, – they're escaping me. But they complained, hey, we would have paid way more than $60 million. Access industries. Yeah, we would have paid way more than $60 million. We were kind of shut out of this process. Uh, so I think that's kind of where we wanted to take the, yeah. the podcast. Uh, you know, I think it's awful. Uh, it, we've seen a lot of times in these bankruptcy cases look this is why they can be so attractive for investors because in these bankruptcy cases value can be lost and found and it's a very inefficient market where if you've got the right legal teams you can find value you can get good deals in this case universal for some unknown reason to me uh, managed to strike a relationship and got what looks like it's going to be a great deal you know if other people are willing to pay 70 million 65 70 75 and you get it for 60 in general you probably did pretty well
0: you know if you have a open full process the informations available from the people, who are reasonably likely to be the bidders. Uh, you want this information to them. You want them to all get the very best. And you uh, know, for other things we look at, we kind of have a little bit of an ear for uh, this. And boy, there were a lot of very curious things about this process. And
1: like, this is one thing you and I with, with management companies and companies when they're in process and things, we say like, listen, it, it, And in this article, the guy says, look, it wasn't all about the money. It was, it not was about, about the money. It was about the size, the scope. And this is something we're pushing on companies like, listen, We are shareholders like your duty to us is it is all about the money. You need to find a deal. Now you can weigh like, Hey, if somebody offers us $12 and somebody else offers us 13, but the 12 is much more likely you can risk adjust, but you need to go out to all bidders and say, Hey, give me the highest offer. We don't care if the offer is coming from somebody who's willing to pay in pounds versus euros. Like, Get us the highest dollar amount. We'll worry about the conversion. Get us the best deal. Scour the ends of the earth to find the best deal. And in this case, he clearly did not, and that results in a great deal for Universal.
0: Absolutely. When Mr. McMillan said, it's not all about the money, I thought. Whenever somebody says that, it's all about the money. Uh, he said that he weighed factors such as the company's size, scope, expertise, copyright management ability, and executives. And I thought, and that was his conclusion on why he rejected
1: Sony yeah, and Sony Warner. Like, Sony and Either the first or second largest uh, music company in the world. Like, Of course they could do all this. And you know what's interesting to me? So I think he did this. I think he rejected all this because the other people wanted to buy the – he mentions in the thing, oh, everyone else wanted to buy the rights and Universal was willing to license and we were only looking to a license deal. So it seems that's why he did it because I I think a license deal might have let him like keep his job longer or something. But man, he was. If you do the math in this article, he gets a five percent commission on anything that was paid, and it sounds like Sony and the other bidders were willing to go above sixty-five million. Uh, Universal one was sixty. Do five percent? Just call the difference five million. Five percent on that is two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Like, how much is he get pay, getting paid to manage this estate for the license deal that he'd rather have his job and manage that licensing contract? And get 5% and the $250,000 upfront commission. Like, just, woof, these things are expensive.
0: Yeah, no, I think he wanted all of it or as much of it as he could get. Uh, his excuse was so curiously worded he said the other uh, bidder for the merchandise rights um, they wanted to buy rather than license which wasn't an option the state was considering but I read that a couple times now that's completely circular he is the estate he's representing the estate and yeah. he just rejected them out of hand for that uh, just to keep uh, keep his work
1: um, no, I, I will say because I'm kind of remembering to Prince's thing and if I remember correctly there was a big thing when Prince died that he didn't license any of his rights uh, he, he 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 didn't license any of his rights. But in this case, everybody else wanted to buy versus license. So it seems like that would have been in line. I don't know. Well, the the
0: whole point of money is you have this medium. So you don't have to judge the counterparty's intent. When they're buying with cash, you take the high bidder. I think he was trying to sort of do what Prince did in his lifetime. But if Prince had strong feelings about this for after his lifetime, then he should have written it down in the will. Uh, And, uh, you know, uh, the assets, the estate... And all of our resources are for the living. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not for the dead. We're not, we're not kind of Egyptian uh, uh, death worshippers that are trying to do this for somebody else's Case that they never even made themselves.
1: Well, you're not an Egyptian death worshipper, but I, I don't want to speak for all of our listeners. Who you know, if you're an Egyptian <laughs> death, be. if you want We're us to be <laughs> Egyptian death worshippers, our hands are under the table. Just
0: just give us the money, and we might we might do it. If you're an Egyptian death worshipper, uh, please be sure to follow and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Audio Boom. Uh, also, send us an email about this. An angry email will be fine. Uh, Uh, I I didn't have anything else. Is that a good place to lead off with disclosures?
1: Yeah, I've got no disclosures and nothing else.
0: I, I have nothing on GM. There are some things about it that I'm looking at, but don't own anything to disclose yet. And I have no relationship prior or future with Prince. Okay, perfect. Talk to you guys next week. Bye.